and welcome to Season 1 of Final Final Locked, the Australian Screen Editors podcast where we delve into the art of editing and put a spotlight on professionals and issues in the local post-production community. I'm your host, Sally Fryer ASC, and joining me are Ricky Felixberto ASC and Toby Trappel. Today, we're discussing editors turned executives in the world of reality television. Ricky is currently working as an executive on Australian Idol. Before that, Australian Ninja Warrior and Rush. He has won Best Editing in Reality twice at the ASC Ellie Awards for Australian Survivor and Lego Masters. He was also nominated in Best Factual for Who Do You Think You Are? He is an accredited member of the ASC and the first with a specialisation in reality. Toby Trappel is currently working as an executive on the upcoming Gordon Ramsay's Food Stars Australia. Before that, Australian Survivor, Heroes vs. Villains and The Bridge. He has been nominated for three actual awards for reality TV. Prior to becoming a post-DP, he was heavily involved in editor and post-producer training at Endemol Shine Australia. We are really thrilled to welcome Ricky and Toby here today. How each of you got into reality TV. Thank you so much for coming along. I'm, I'm just going to start by asking Toby, you want to start? Uh, do you want the short version or the long version? Short version. Yeah, might, no yeah. worries. Um, so I had no inclination when I was young that I wanted to get into television or anything like that. I stumbled upon one thing to another to another and literally got into reality TV because I had no work. Knocked on the door of resources and they're like, I think I can get you maybe a day or two assisting on some... Farmer Wants Wife, I think it was. Right. Um, and that very rapidly turned into not just assistant editing, but then eventually editing. So it was pure random chance, okay. no intention, and I stumbled across it. That's often how that story seems to come up with quite a lot of editors, actually. <laughs> Ricky, what actually, about you? it was really weird for me because I went to university at the very start of the reality TV phenomenon in 2001. So my final year project was actually, is reality TV the future of television? And that was no joke. That was actually my final year documentary project. And then I studied in Queensland. At that time, there wasn't a huge amount of work going on for young upcomers. But then this show, Big Brother, came along, which had a massive crew. And then, voila, I've been in reality ever since. That's right. hilarious. Yeah, I didn't even me. grow up with a TV. Oh, really? Yeah, I no, don't no, 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 no. Whereas I'm like in the I'm middle like of it in, like, in like deep detail. Oh, funny. And I understand that you two had years as editors and you've moved beyond that now. So you are now managing, overseeing the process of editing these massive shows. Yes, now we're both post-executive producers, which traditionally a lot of times it is seen as a management role. But as reality TV evolves, editors are more likely to get into these positions now mm. just because they understand the entire process. They know how to work with the massive team that you're working with, it's not just a team of two or three editors. Sometimes you could be working with 20, 25 editors at once. Mm. And so having someone in that management role who speaks editor language oh, yeah. is very handy these days. So. <laughs> and many conversations which involve... So at this point, when they say that, can you react with the... <laughs> Yeah, so many times we just talk in sound effects and editors right. are like, oh, yeah, yeah totally no, exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you... if you get it from a network executive, they're sort of talking conceptually and stuff. And sometimes an editor doesn't understand what they're trying to say right. or what note they're trying to give. It's not, it's a bad note. It's just not talking in a language they understand. So as a post-executive producer, you can be the translator between like an executive giving notes from a network and an editor who speaks really technical, in-depth speak in a really shorthand form. Right. So having someone in that management position, mm. yeah, vital. Yeah. And is it a role that existed before you two went, there's a real need for this? Or are you effectively two of the first 
Uh, no, it did exist beforehand. Yeah, post-executive producers always existed, but that usually came from a post-producer background, I think traditionally, back in yeah. the old days. So, I mean, just for those that don't know, post-producer in a reality-slash-unscripted realm, they are like an editor. They're putting together the first version of the story. Editing interviews, bits of actuality or stuff that was filmed, maybe writing VO, whatever. But they're not polishing and refining. They're not finding all the shots. They're not adding music, timing, pacing, feeling. And so in some ways, in especially the reality realm, the editor role in any other sort of genre is split in two. So those post-producers would struggle to change the tone and feel of a scene or would struggle to consider music, sound effects or subtle emotional shifts and all that sort of stuff. Whereas an editor would be much more skilled in that. And traditionally, you'd have these executive post-producers who could not speak to half their team. They didn't actually have the language right. or the experience to be able to communicate feedback and give guidance to an editor. And so there's been a number of editors who have, I guess, shifted the spectrum in terms of being able to give feedback to their whole team, not just half their team, right. effectively. And so I guess myself and Ricky are examples of those type mm-hmm. of uh, post execs. And can you explain the process, how sure. you go from rushes to lock off? Oh, okay, sure. Because I hear there are teams of editors and there are teams of assistants. And yes. just for those of us who just get one set of uh, rushes, look, I can one talk about Survivor. So okay. Survivor's my show. And so rushes will come in from field uh, and they'll go through the assistant editors. Now, in reality TV, that's not a creative role. It's purely technical. But what also comes in from field is a whole set of notes. What happened when, what they think the big picture stories could be, where they think their stories are going. My job as an post-executive producer, more than anything, is to keep on top of those big picture stories. Right. What is the cohesive flow from one episode through to another? What stories are we telling? What are the characters like? And also any broad notes which is coming from our bosses or the networks. We really want to see this or that or this show's like X or Y. And so I take all that sort of stuff along with the notes from Field and then I start to create a vision as to what this show could actually be. So these rushes are coming in through the edit assists and then they'll be all laid up and prepared for when a post-producer starts on each episode and they're edit post-producers so you, they actually Correct. they actually, actually they're on, on the, the tools on the, yeah. on the tools yeah. absolutely um, what I will do right at the start is I'll give these post-producers a document along with a supervising post-producer and say this is what we think the story is this is probably the characters you're going to follow but you're the one looking at the rushes. You tell me when that's different. Right. Okay? And so then within a week and a half's time, when they've gotten their nose into most of the rushes and started putting their initial thoughts together, I have them then pitch the story back to me. They tell me segment by segment who we're they probably going to follow. They show you or they tell you? Tell me. Right. Tell okay. me. At this stage, we're only staying broad because they haven't necessarily got into the nitty gritty of what that will look like. But from my point of view, I try to create ownership. They're the ones looking at the rushes. They're the ones spending the time in it. But what I have is the broad picture, right? They don't know where this story will go in the next episode. They don't have the time and headspace to do that, but I do. Right. right? And so my job is to try to give them that sort of structure so that they're not wandering aimlessly. Because I guess one of the big defining things about reality TV is we've got stupid amounts of rushes. And not enough time. And I was going to ask, And so that's why the job gets split into post-producer and editor, why there's supervising post-producers, why there's execs who are dealing with this stuff. 
because of that exact reason. Um, then eventually, as we get closer to a structural screening, an editor will come onto the episode as well, and they'll start to collaborate with the post-producer. There'll be a fresh set of eyes, back and forth, different sort of ways of thinking about it. And when I get to a structural screening, I usually will have watched little bits already, but I expect it not to be exactly like they pitched me because they've explored the rushes, they've came up with new solutions, they're taking ownership of it. They're surprising me with something. And then at that stage, I will give feedback, we'll refine it, enhance it, and various other screens will go forth until the episode screens to bosses inside the company and then externally screening as well. And can you give us an idea? So, so for something like a season of Survivor, I would have no idea how long it's shot over. And... If you're, so you've said somebody will cut episode one, but you've already got a handle on what's going to happen in episode two and three. Is that because all the rushes have come in for the whole series before you start cutting episode one? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay. So sometimes I've I've done a show, I was doing Australian Ninja Warrior, where I was actually out in the field and trying to edit the show in my head as it was being filmed. So of course the field team, they're all focusing on making sure we get all the coverage. I'm actually on the run trying to edit the show going, okay, this is where the story looks like it's going. We can start centralizing some of these themes at the moment. It's like, there's going to be a hero here. There's going to be a villain over here. There's going to be someone everyone's going to love over here. Someone's going to have a big turning arc here. So it's trying to identify those as a post person as the rushes come in. And you're not doing any cutting at that stage. You're just no, trying just, to have eyes on the rushes, it's basically. It's literally it, like having cards on a wall. I like to use a Trello because I'm a bit digital you know, these days. <gasps> I, I, have a, I have a whiteboard in my office. Yeah, I have the Trello because then everyone can see it, what I'm doing. They're like, you're moving things at two in the morning. I'm like, yes, because I just thought an idea. If I move this scene and this scene, that would make a great story arc. What was I going? I was on a... Yes, we're not finished filming before. So yes, gen- yeah, right, a lot yes. of times filming usually starts wrapping up as we're halfway through the process. So sometimes we've actually re-edited in episode one because we realized that the series has actually Mm. gone a different direction right for example i did episode one season one of survivor we started editing it in a certain way thinking okay this is great the winner we didn't even feature in the first episode because she didn't emerge until later in the series so that we actually had to start rethinking going okay let's look at it again Let's look at episode one with all the bits we have in mind, recut that so it actually leads to the story. So you are sort of cutting on the run. And how does that, is that going out into the field usual? Does that usually happen or is that unusual to go out in the field and start watching rushes on the foot? Right. Yeah, Yeah, it's becoming usual nowadays. Yeah, generally not. Usually it's in the can, but a lot of times they usually have the post representative going out so someone has a post head on and it's right. usually the post executive producer mm. going out just going okay have you got the shots you want and some it's great sometimes the director's like just talk with us is this exactly what you need mm. so that's basically our roles now as post executive producers is to be the connection between the field and post so they understand what we want and they can communicate what they're trying to do as well and we insulate post a little bit by having some <laughs> foreknowledge as to what they're have not told us officially. Mm. And do you miss, I mean, becoming executives, the fantastic thing about that, I guess, is you get this oversight. Do you miss being on the tools? Do you sometimes step in oh, and go, or is, it actually, <laughs> or is it gorgeous Ricky, to Ricky, have Ricky others especially. do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, of course, absolutely. But I guess personally, I've reorientated my head in that as an exec, I'm not making great episodes. I'm making a great series. Right. right. And yes. so it's a different reorientation in that I will see stuff that people have done and go, I wouldn't have done that. But it's not necessarily better or worse. Right. It's just different. And so I guess it's taken me a while to let go to that degree. But I agree. <laughs> it's the hardest part. I like going and seeing my family. So that's nice. So that's very high motivational to trust people. Um, and also I have this team who are in their own way very good at what they do. 
And if I was to take their job, then I'm not trusting them and I'm undermining what they're doing. Right. The editors who work underneath you must be happy that yours are the first sets of eyes that look at a show. <laughs> there is. <Yes>. Maybe. Um, <laughs> and then, what's the sort of turnaround time? I don't know. Are we talking four weeks an episode? Are we talking... Oh, no, much, much more. Much, much more. more. Much, right. much more than that. Much, so, much. to give you some sort of idea, I'm currently working on Food Stars, and for an episode one, we will allocate like 15 editor weeks per episode. Right. And so, that might won't be obviously linear. Yeah. We'll have a couple of editors working together. How does that work within one show, a couple of so editors working it, on? It, no, it's actually... Some Sometimes it actually can be quite good because I think part of our role is trying to identify editor skill strength. Mm. I think I've only really appreciated this being at this level is that every editor works so differently yeah. and every editor can deliver something completely different. Yeah. Right. So as part of our roles, we have to really understand, okay, how does each editor work? What can each editor bring? And then that's actually how we form teams. It's like, okay, this person's really great at emotional sequences. Let's give them that part. Exactly. This person can really do drama. This person can do music. So actually working as teams is not a bad thing. I think we even worked on um, episode one Lego, Lego Masters yeah, together. You, you did all the storytelling sort of sections. Yeah. <laughs> Define that tone of feel. I hurt myself on the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing construction story and yeah. I was doing grandness and revealness. So mm. it was a bit more stylized and you were doing a lot more story. And mm. like that's where we had our different strengths and you can yeah. actually combine those together. Because reality edits, it's right. got so many highs and lows, oh, so many twists and turns that having different editing styles can actually work in your advantage as opposed to working against you. I mean, we're already working from a point of collaboration anyway in that you've got a post-producer who's starting work on this and then into an editor. So there already is, in effect, two people at least on an edit anyway. On a show like, say, Survivor, we have specialised challenge editors. We have specialised tribal council editors because that's a very specialised skill. And then we have all the island actuality. And so on a normal episode, you will have at least three editors. Uh, sometimes up to five or more and the like. And then I guess ideally you would always over your main story components only have one editor. Right? So as an example on Food Stars, we didn't have the schedule just to have one editor over it, but I scheduled the other people supporting that editor so they did not come at the start or the end. They came in the middle. Right? So the other editor could start it, establish it, Right? Other people could do a bit of grunt work helping get scenes into shape. And then the first editor would have time to take it and then reshape a little bit if they felt necessary to give it a cohesive whole. And so, look, the ideal is you always just have one producer and one editor on an episode. That'd That's the ideal. ideal. <laughs> That's, That's the absolute ideal. <laughs> ideal. And the episodes where you see that happening, they can be quite often very beautiful. And they've got this extra layer of cohesiveness mm-hmm. and this refinement because those are the people which have spent the most time in those with rushes. With that material. Sure. With that material. And so like Survivor, even though you've got challenge editors and you've got challenge tribal council editors, if the rest of it is by one editor and post-producer, they're the episodes which come together the best. And building in all of those beats, as you say, you know, you're building the villains, you're building the heroes, you're building in those emotional highs. Is there a first pass where it's just get the story running from sort of A to B and they'll show you and you'll go, it's great, but it's got to be punchier. We've got to build in those highs and lows. Yeah. I've got a slightly different way of working with characters, which is my buzzword is distinct. What makes this person distinct and that person distinct? What makes this episode distinct, this moment distinct? Because ultimately, whether we're doing reality, whether we're doing doco or whatever, it's all about people. And so being able to draw that out more than anything gives you the most real and believable sort of moments. Then we'll make them a little bit more confident there so their fall is greater. Mm -hmm. Then we'll make them a little bit more on the bottom so their rise can be greater. 
But I have this way of thinking where I don't want to tell a lie to start with because that has repercussions and knock-on effects and you have to change things. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to hone in what makes something distinctive and then enhance that only if it's not going to trip us over. I may have got off track there, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Where were we? (laughs) The question here is um, common issues that you see in post-workflows and I wonder if that's a sort of common problems like... Oh, Ooh. I mean, I have very strong opinions about this. Do you want to talk or you, you want to talk? <laughs> you, you talk, I'll think about it. Okay, I'll, cool. I'll come in Look, a second. Um, this comes back to, I guess, things I've said earlier. But for me, the most common problem I have with post-workflows is that you have too many people who are not familiar with the footage making decisions arbitrarily from a distance. Right. right. So you are making calls and decisions about content, which is forcing you to take the real things that happened and artificially frame them in a way which means that you're constantly trying to create something which isn't there. And is that easier for you as an executive now, the position that you are, to push back against those Yes, because they trust me and so I push it in the direction I want, then heighten it as needed to make them really like it. And what it allows me to do is not be reactive. So this is the other problem I have. Too many people get very stressed out at these things, burnt out, schedules blow out badly because we become reactive in our feedback. We weren't there giving guidance at an early sort of stage. And did you feel that as an editor at some point? You must have felt, you many mentioned times, family earlier. Many times. Saying, I can't go on doing on something this. to yeah. help on something because it's like, ah, react. <laughs> yeah. right? And so for me, turning the whole process around and going, the time to give guidance is when the people who are watching the rushes can re-explore something rather than being told by someone maybe too far removed, which will artificially shape this episode in some way, which means the next one, it has to be coherent with that. Yes. yes. So you have to change so the, the next lie one. So the lie gets even and bigger. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And did you guys <laughs> workshop that together in terms of now becoming EPs within this space and you were both editors and may or may, presumably you both had that feeling of burnout, I can't do this anymore, something's got to change, others I'm going to walk away. So- um, essentially, a few years ago, someone asked me if I wanted to be a post-executive producer and I said, hell no, like that is not <laughs> me, that's not my role, I'm not here to do that. But then I found a lot of the other editors would be coming to me going, I have no idea what these notes are, the network are saying this, or our executives are saying this, I don't know how to translate that. So I started being a senior sort of mentor to some of the other editors, the other post-producers going, actually, this is what they're saying. They don't literally mean you need to put these words in these people's mouths, right. or this is not the solution to the problem. Right. Here's what the vibe is, what they're going for. Let's translate it in a way with what we can do with the brushes we've got. A common mistake with a lot of, I guess, emerging producers and editors, when they receive a note, they enact on it verbatim. And it's just like a journey from A to B across this river. And they said, I have to build a boat. It's like, well, you don't have to build a boat. You could build a bridge. You could also build a tunnel underneath. The solution that they want might not be the one, but as long as you're getting from A to B, that's what our job is. And we found that when we're the senior editors, we were doing that a lot and a lot more and helping translate things for people and understanding how to interpret notes and turn it into an editor way. So... That sort of became the reason why I started moving post-exec. And now you have this sort of oversight of the whole series. You have an oversight of other editors putting those teams together and making, giving, you know, knowing where those individual talents are. Do you find that when you get to presenting the series or episode one and two to a network, receiving notes is easier, knowing what to do with those notes is easier. There are fewer notes because you have actually been managing that production and make that presentation to the final people, whether it's Channel 9 or Prime or anybody, 
a smoother process because they can be terrible, those screenings. Look, there's a certain degree to which anyone coming in externally and having a look at something will have an opinion and a perspective and you can't always allow for those. But assuming that you don't get left of field sort of comments, assuming that there's nothing intrinsically broken from what you receive from field, yes, that sort of management, especially with the addition of an editor level sort of feedback and brain and that broad picture sort of guidance absolutely does improve post like dramatically. Um, I have people who had been notably burnt out before, but by the end were coming up with exciting, innovative, different, unexpected things because they felt confident enough with the support that they'd been given to be able to actually add something new to this rather than just tick the box and do what was asked of them. Do you ever find, I mean, you sound like it's almost like having two dads in the room because the team sounds so important and you looking after your team and, and making the vibe. Yeah. Right. How do you do that? A lot of people presume that reality TV is more of a sausage factory because there's so many people working on series. It sure can feel like that. It can, and it absolutely. Can, yeah, absolutely yeah. can feel absolutely. like that. Yeah. But I think one important thing that we need to do in our role is make sure we're actually appreciating everyone is there as an yeah. artist at their job. They're there because they're amazing editing, they're amazing producer, and it's really sort of honing in and appreciating that and like encouraging that instead of saying you gotta be doing A, B, and C, it's like, hey, help me find a solution for this problem. Just before we finish, if you had to give one or two pieces of advice to people managing post production crews to get the best out of their teams, the best outcomes, what would those be? Um, there's a bit of advice I got given when I was starting post execing and it was When you're giving feedback, does the feedback make it better or does it make it different? Because if it's different, don't give it. Right. Okay. Yeah? Yep. Because if they've done something different, that's a good thing. That's exciting. That's interesting. They've added something which you didn't expect. And for me as a host exec, I don't want standard people. I'm not interested in that. I'd prefer to take someone who's more junior and has an interesting bent or comes from a different background and needs a bit of guidance to get there. But in return, you are given something which is unexpected. That's exciting. (laughs) I think it's really understanding each editor and what their skill set is and what they really enjoy editing. Because in the end, you want them to enjoy their work. You want them to have ownership of it. You want them to show off their skills. You want them to be creative. It's like we're not here to tell them what their job is. We want to really see them bloom. A lot of times I've been told, I can see your team are enjoying cutting the show. Mm. And if that's showing in the work, that's I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. There's a phrase in reality TV called a firefighter. And it's someone whose job, either for a small amount of time or a large amount of time, is to be thrown at things which are burning. Right. Yeah? Yeah. I hate the phrase. I absolutely hate the phrase. My own language I use as a support editor or support producer because they're supporting the people who are actually in the thick of those rushes. And that's when I find I get the best out of people and post works the best is when they're supported and allowed to actually do their job. If a team feels supported, that if I'm doing my job as an exec, not their job, and they understand where we're going both as their episode and the actual series, they have a chance to be invested. I jokingly say I've made a career out of my own insecurities, which is I'm struggling to make decisions, worried and nervous about whether I'm doing a decent job. If I can reshape post in a way that means that those things are not a problem and people can feel supported, I guess what I've seen is people flourish because of that. And I think we have to wrap it there, but that was f- fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, <laughs> was Glad we come on. <laughs> that was so brilliant. Thank you so much. 
you so much for listening in. If you'd like to hear more of this podcast, please subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Final Final Locked Podcast. This episode was produced by Scott Wormsley. Music by screen composer Heather Shannon. Special thanks to Concord and Shark Island Institute. For more information about the Australian Screen Editors Guild and what is happening in your local post-production community, go to screeneditors.com.au. We acknowledge the Gadigal and Birribirigal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this was recorded. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and future. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land.